So that's page 985, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Thanks, Katie. Do keep that open. It's page 985. Um, If you just closed your Bibles and let's ask God to help us to understand his word for us this morning. Uh, Father, we pray you'd speak to us through the Bible as we study this parable together now. And please help us to put these words of yours into practice for Jesus' sake. Amen. We've seen too many shootings in U.S. schools, haven't we? Uh, You may have um, even perhaps forgotten this one I had, uh, although it only happened 12 years ago. It was on October the 2nd. 2006, 10.25 a.m., and uh, this guy, Charles Roberts IV, walked into a one-room Amish school in Pennsylvania in a place called Nickel Mines, and he took hostages, all girls, and he got them to face the chalkboard, uh, and then he waited. And then at 11.07, he began shooting the girls, execution-style back of the head. And the state troopers who were on the scene immediately moved in when uh, they heard the shooting. And when Robert saw the first one, he turned his gun on himself and he took his own life, but not before he had killed or fatally injured five of the girls and then seriously injured half a dozen more. The extraordinary thing, even more extraordinary, was what happened next. In the aftermath, Jack uh, uh, Mayer, a Christian living near this Amish community, he said this, I don't think there's anybody here who wants to do anything but forgive. 
And not only reach out to those who suffered a loss in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. The Amish set up a charitable fund for the family of Charles Roberts. He was married with three kids. The Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, his parents, his parents-in-law. Thirty members of the Amish went to his funeral. An Amish neighbor visited Robert's family just hours after the shooting uh, in order to be there with his family. And one of them held his dad, it's reported, for an hour as Charles Robert's dad sobbed in his arms. And Marie Roberts, the widow of Charles, wrote an open letter to her Amish neighbours thanking them for their forgiveness, for their grace, and for their mercy. And then a journalist writing about this atrocity in the aftermath in the Dallas Morning News wrote this, Sometimes faith helps ordinary men and women do the humanly impossible, to forgive, to love, to heal, and to redeem. It makes no sense. It is the most sensible thing in the world. The Amish have turned this occasion of spectacular evil into a bright witness to hope. Despite everything, a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Well, forgiveness... Forgiveness is uh, the topic for this morning. Forgiveness is the subject of this parable of the unmerciful servant. That is the act of ceasing to be angry and ceasing to be resentful of someone else, according to my dictionary. Uh, So here we are in Matthew chapter 18 and in verses 21 to 35. And we're thinking particularly about this. Make forgiveness an unconditional way of life. Make forgiveness an unconditional way of life. Now, some people say that we only need to forgive when someone comes and asks us for it, or better still, if someone comes and begs us for it. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches us. I don't believe that's what Jesus teaches us. I don't believe that's what Jesus is teaching us here, actually. Okay, the the guy comes and begs, doesn't he, if you look in verse 28. Not to be forgiven, though, he's begging for patience. And there are other parts of the Bible where it does appear uh, to make the need to, to forgive conditional. Conditional on someone's repentance, conditional on someone asking you for it. But then when you look at those and you look at them carefully, I don't think any of them are saying con- that forgiveness is conditional. Now instead, we all need to make forgiveness an unconditional way of life. And if we don't... What happens to us? I think we can all see, can't we? We can see in ourselves, perhaps, and see in other people, someone who's bitter, someone who's kind of unpleasantly superior, someone who's proud and arrogant and turning into perhaps quite an unpleasant person. But where does forgiveness come from? What part of your anatomy would you forgive with? Actually, I think it's a whole person forgiveness. So, for instance, it comes from our heads because it needs to be a conscious decision to forgive someone who's wronged us. But it doesn't just come from our heads. It needs to be, uh, come from our tongues. So I think we need to say it. But not just our tongues. It needs to come from our hearts because we've got to mean it. But not just from our hearts. 
needs to come from our souls because the great motivation for forgiveness is the fact that the Lord has forgiven us. And that's the real focus of this passage. And it needs to come from our hands because forgiveness is a whole way of life like it was for those Amish Christians on that horrible day 12 years ago. Forgiveness is a deep thing. JFK apparently said this, forgive your enemies, but never forget their names. (laughs) Sorry, Mr. President, that is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a deep thing. It comes from deep within. Forgiveness is something that you're forgetting what the person did for you in the first place. It's changing our lives. So let's look at this parable of the unmerciful servant as it's headed here. It's only in Matthew. It's, I think it's important for us today. It's important for people today. And let's make forgiveness an unconditional way of life. But why? Why should we do that? What's the incentive for that? Well, the first thing to say is this, um, that forgiveness, why do we, because we have been forgiven, and to what extent? We have been forgiven beyond your dreams. So let's have a look at verses 21 to 27 here. If you're a Christian, you have been forgiven by God beyond your dreams. Now, the issue at the start of the passage, before we turn the page over, is that uh, Peter here, uh, it's clearly about forgiveness, isn't he? Peter came to Jesus, verse 21, said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, there were some um, rabbis, some of them taught, that if you forgave someone three times, that's what you should do. But if they came back and did the same thing again a fourth time, that proved they weren't really repentant, and therefore that you wouldn't have to forgive them anymore. So three was fine. So when Peter comes to Jesus and says, how about seven times, Jesus? He's probably feeling rather smug. He's probably thinking, you know, I'm, you know, it's quite a good thing to do. Let's make it seven. You know, over twice as many as the rabbis do. And Jesus says... Well, there's a, a variance, and you look at left there in our Bibles, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven times. It doesn't actually matter which one of those it is. Uh, it doesn't matter which one of those was what Jesus said. The point is this. Forgiveness is a way of life. Forgiveness is something that we keep on doing. Now, let's be clear. We're not condoning sin. Jesus is not condoning sin here. Actually, if you put this in the context, just look at the little chunk before that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. So from verse 15 to 19 to verse 20 there, it's headed dealing with sin in the church. And it was clearly saying, and Jesus was teaching there, look, sin matters. Sin matters. The stuff that we do against each other, the stuff that we do against God, it clearly matters. But we need a spirit of mercy and forgiveness towards our brothers and sisters. J.C. Ryle is a great bishop, Victorian bishop, and he wrote this uh, in his commentary on this passage. He said this, we are to bear much, to put up with much. We are to overlook much and to submit to much. We are to lay aside everything like malice, strife, revenge and retaliation. Such feelings are only fit for pagans. They are utterly unworthy of a disciple of Christ. So forgiveness should be a way of life. I do know some, though, for whom it seems almost as if unforgiveness is a way of life. 
I know for some who live waiting for others to come and ask to be forgiven. Isn't that sad? And what a tragically twisted way of life. We just simply, as followers of Jesus, need to make forgiveness an unconditional way of life. But why? Why? Because you have been forgiven beyond your dreams. Look at verse 24 here, just over the page. Verse 24. As he began to the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, or you look at the bottom there, it says uh, uh, that's uh, 10,000 talents, a talent's worth about 20 years of a day's labor as wages. That's a huge amount. This poor man owed more than, actually, some people say he owed more than the amount of money that existed in the entire country. There's no way he was going to be able to pay that. No hope whatsoever of getting this debt paid. And you look at verse 25 there. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debts. Well, apparently, if you were a, you know, a, a star performer on the slave front and you sold yourself at the market, you might just get a talent. One talent. So uh, if this guy had 10 kids and he sold himself and his wife and his 10 kids, that's 12 talents, but he's still 9,988 talents short of paying off the debt. It was never going to happen. You look at verse 26. It's hopeless, isn't it? There's no chance. Which makes verse 27 even more extraordinary. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. I mean, and, and if you look at verse 27 in the original, there's a lot of emotion there from the king. You can see his heart. He gives the man, he actually he gives the man so much more than he asked for, doesn't he? And there are no conditions, and there's no hesitation. It's an act of pure grace, and it is simply extraordinary. Man is free. His debts are paid. And Jesus told this story because he wants us to see ourselves in this man. Jesus told this story because he wants you To see, that's me. This man is a picture of you and me. Trapped by our sin. With an absolutely monumental debt to pay. And yet somehow, because of God's amazing grace, our debt is cancelled. We're set free as we put our trust in Jesus. We're forgiven people. We've been forgiven much. We've been forgiven beyond our dreams. We are the guy in verse 27 there. So let's ponder this for a moment, shall we? Because it's so important. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, we have a prison of our own making. It's like the guy who built a prison and put in the bars and built up the walls and all the rest of it. And as he put the, the last block in place, he realized that he was in the middle of it. And it imprisoned himself. That's what our sin does for us. But because Jesus died for us, if you're a Christian, if you've committed yourself to follow Jesus, then God says, your debt's cancelled. You're a free person. You've been forgiven beyond your dreams. You see, we were... 
helpless sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's not popular to say that, but that's the truth. And we can never pay back our debt. And unless it's paid, our sin separates us from goodness and the truth of God Almighty for all eternity in hell. Desperate need of a saviour to pay for and therefore to cancel this debt. And his name is Jesus and he paid for our debt. He paid for our sins on the cross of Calvary. So if you're a Christian, believe you've been forgiven beyond your dreams. And yet some, some who will name Christ as their Lord and their saviour won't forgive. Now, this isn't those who can't forgive. This is not of those who find it really hard to forgive. And I guess many of us find it very hard to forgive some big things that have been done against us. You know, the adulterous husband or wife. Or the drunk driver. Or someone who you thought was a friend. Or your boss who treats you so callously on a daily basis. And you may wish to pray with someone about that. We have a prayer ministry team down here at the front at the end of the service. My guess is a number of us might like to, don't have to say, I, you know, any details, but I'd love you just to pray for me that I might be able to work this through and get to, I want to be able to forgive. I'm finding it really hard. Can't tell you the exact situation, but I'd love you to be able to pray that I can work it through and I can make some progress and God would help me to be someone who's a forgiver. So lots of people find it hard to forgive. The tragic thing is that some won't forgive. Some refuse to forgive. Now that's really difficult. If you're a Christian and you're refusing to forgive, that doesn't smell very good, does it? Because not to forgive, not to forgive, well, there are a number of things here. Not to forgive is inappropriate. We've been, been forgiven so much. How could we not forgive? The man, the man in, in Jesus' parable, his story here, he's been forgiven, it seems, more than the entire GDP of his country. And so when he goes off and demands a debt of a hundred denarii, that's a hundred days wages, so what, three months wages? Verse 29, from a fellow servant, someone in the same position as him, he almost repeats what he himself said to the king in verse 26. Verse 26 and verse 29 are, are, are very similar. And yet he still has him chucked in prison in verse 30. And you think, how can you behave like that? You've been forgiven the most enormous debt in all of history. Personal debt in all of history. Completely inappropriate and just totally wrong. And it's the whole point of this passage, isn't it? You've been forgiven so much. How could you not forgive? How could forgiveness not be an entire ongoing way of life for you? I'll think of it this way. Our neighbor's offenses against us are trifles compared with ours against God's. And we've been forgiven. So how much more should we readily forgive others? Not to forgive is inappropriate. Second thing here, not to forgive is ungodly. 
In other words, it's just not like God's. You see here, verse 27, the servant's master, picture of our Lord and God, took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. That's what God does. God forgives. And we're trying to be like him, aren't we, as Christian people? So we should be trying to forgive too. And so to arrogantly say, I won't forgive, I refuse to forgive, or I don't need to forgive, that's very ungodly, isn't it? And then the third thing here, it's actually ungracious. Look at verse 27 again. Amazing grace. I read that and I say, I want to be like that, Lord. I want to live like that. We have a room just through there called the Cranmer Room. I've mentioned this before. Thomas Cranmer, the first archbishop uh, in the Church of England. And it used to be said of Thomas Cranmer, that if you did him an injury or an insult, you made a friend for life. Isn't that good? Isn't that gracious? Isn't that lovely? And for the debtor in this parable, there is no way out. He's entirely dependent on the grace of the king. You gave him so much more than he asked for. And for us too, there's no way out for our need. We're too entirely dependent on the grace of the king. He gives us so much more than we could possibly ask for. King Jesus, who has given us so much grace, so much more than we could ever imagine. So not to forgive others. It's very ungracious. We need to forgive. We want to make forgiveness an unconditional way of life, don't we? And again, if you want to pray with someone, don't have to give any details. Do come here or just pray quietly on your own at the end of the service. Of course, there's an opportunity to do that. Forget the two minute rule. Bow your head and shut your eyes. OK, that's important. And then remember it for next week. All right. Uh, and then the second uh, big thing. And just briefly, as we head towards the end, it's this. To refuse to forgive proves who you are. This isn't, oh, I'm finding forgiveness really difficult. I've been wronged so badly by people. I'm finding I'm really, so I want to do it, but I'm really struggling. No, this is refusing. Saying, I will not forgive. Uh, a guy called Thomas Fuller wrote this. He who cannot forgive breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. And this man who had his debt cancelled is set free in verse 27. But then for some reason, he just, we don't know other than what's in his heart, do we? Uh, sets about one of his fellow servants in verse 28. He goes, he attacks him, doesn't it? Found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred silver coins, hundred denarii, grabbed him and began to choke him. What's all that about? And the word gets back to the king. And the king describes in verse 32, wicked. Wicked. And he is, isn't he? He is a forgiven yet unforgiving man. The height of ingratitude and the height of injustice. It's horrible. But now look, this is where it gets a bit difficult. Because look at verse 34. In his anger, in, man, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. That's a unique word, but the root is torture until he should pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you 
unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This guy will never pay the debt, never pay it back. And this is a picture that's meant to explain to us something difficult. It's meant to, meant to explain to us and give, a, give us a, a picture of an appalling existence to which there is no end. And God calls us to behave towards others as he has. And to make forgiveness an unconditional way of life. And to simply refuse to forgive, I believe Jesus is saying here, shows us who you are. It shows a faith that isn't real. It shows an eternity that no one in their right mind would want for anyone. Christians are forgiven. Christians must be forgivers. And we see it in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. It was Charles Spurgeon who said this about the Lord's Prayer. Unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Well, for those of us who want to be forgivers, I've asked that we would have the Lord's Prayer at the end of this sermon, including that difficult line. Because it's really, really hard, isn't it? Forgiving others can be really, really difficult. And sometimes we just need to say, Lord, I'm not ready for this yet. But please, would you work in my life, maybe over many years, to become someone who can forgive so I can get to that point. I want to do it. Please, by your spirit, help me to do that. So we're going to be quiet. And then we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to remember this. We want to make forgiveness an unconditional way of life. Let's be quiet and then Tim will lead us.